This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Flo from Progressive. You know me, I'm a huge football fan, but it can be stressful for us super fans. So Progressive is going to help take your mind off your team for a moment. Instead of thinking about how your team threw the wrong ball on the wrong net, just think about how Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Well, hope this distraction about Progressive's Home Court Explorer was helpful. It sure helped me from stressing about my team for a bit. Anyway, go sports! Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody, and welcome on in to the Matt Lombardo Show inside fan-sided Stacking the Box podcast feed. Recording this on a Friday afternoon, we are now inside of two weeks away from the 2021 NFL Draft, and that's certainly going to provide all kinds of excitement and all kinds of intrigue, and we'll touch on the draft a little bit later on in the show, as, you know, certainly there are a lot of things flying around the rumor mill. There's a lot of buzz going on right now, especially about the first five picks in this draft, as there always tends to be, but this is going to be a really fun show. It's going to be a really exciting show, and it's going to be one that challenges the listeners in some sense, and we're going to be joined later on by a good friend of the program, Detroit Lions linebacker and fullback, Jason Cabinda, and a really enlightening conversation that I hope you'll listen to and enjoy. Um, but before we get into all that, before we get into the big NFL news of the week, some housekeeping as always. If you love what you hear, if you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store to Fansided Stacking the Box NFL Podcast. And of course, this podcast, The Matt Lombardo Show, drops inside Fansided's Stacking the Box Podcast feed each and every Friday afternoon. And if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you left a five-star review. We're going to start every Friday from here on out reading a five-star review from a listener each week. So if you like what you hear, please leave a review. You might hear it on the show in upcoming weeks. And, you know, you can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. And, you know, let's just get right into it because the Cleveland Browns this week, they made the biggest splash in free agency this week so far. And I got to tell you, you know, I really do love what Browns general manager Andrew Barry is doing right now. And this move might not be the big splash. It might not be the move that puts the Browns over the top. But it really shows they're committed to trying to get there. And that's going out and signing Jadavion Clowney in free agency. And, you know, here's a guy who was a former first-round pick, more on that later, who is, you know, coming off of a severe injury with the Tennessee Titans where he didn't have a sack last year had three sacks the year before, and you talk to scouts around the league and they'll say that, you know, he'll help, but he won't make the kind of impact the Browns need him to make against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But that's what this move was all about. Going out and signing Jadeveon Clowney in what is now the third wave of NFL free agency, at least for the Browns, is all about beating Mahomes. It's all about getting past the Kansas City Chiefs. And they've done something throughout this offseason that really none of the contenders in the AFC have done that might be most important to knocking off the Chiefs 
getting to an AFC championship game, maybe winning in Arrowhead, and ultimately getting to a Super Bowl, which is going to be a Herculean task on that side of the bracket, because as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are together in Kansas City, I think you punch their ticket to the Super Bowl every year. They might not win it every year. They might run up against Bruce Arians and Tom Brady and Tampa Bay and have another struggle on their hands, even though I do love what the Chiefs have done getting better up front this offseason. They might, in a year you know, where Aaron Rodgers gets hot and finally gets past that NFC Championship game hump for the third time in his career, maybe it'll be a struggle for the Chiefs to hoist the Lombardi Trophy against Green Bay. But I don't think it's going to be that difficult for Kansas City to get to the Super Bowl. For other teams in the AFC, yeah, it's going to be a slog. But the Browns, I think, have helped themselves, and Andrew Barry has helped that organization more than almost any GM in the AFC has. And you just look at the fact that after losing in the AFC divisional round, and, and really for a spell, putting the fear of God in the Kansas City Chiefs, Andrew Barry and the Browns went out, and they used Kansas City as the measuring stick. They looked at that game. They looked at Mahomes, they looked at the Chiefs, they looked at what they had on their roster, and they said, here's where we need to get better. And what did they do? Even before going out and signing Clowney, they go out and they bring in Tack McKinley, a former first-round pick. They bring in a safety linebacker hybrid in John Johnson, who last year is coming off the best season of his career with 105 tackles, one interception, and eight pass breakups. You drop that into the back end of that secondary, and they get better tremendously. Malik Jackson, a guy who underperformed during his time with the Philadelphia Eagles, but an accomplished veteran who really had a strong career with the Baltimore Ravens before winding up in Philadelphia. He's now a Cleveland Brown. And they brought in Troy Hill, a cornerback, to solidify that safety, that secondary spot and the cornerback position even more. And you look at the defensive line. And, you know, the Browns have kind of formed something unique here in that they have Miles Garrett, who's an all-pro, a perennial contender for defensive player of the year. Sheldon Richardson, a former first-round pick. They have Tack McKinley, a former first-round pick. And Jadevian Clowney now, a former first-round pick. They have all first-rounders along their front four. And if there's one way that you beat the Chiefs, and we saw Tampa Bay do this in the Super Bowl, it's relentlessly pressuring Patrick Mahomes. It's making him uncomfortable in the pocket. It's pressuring him without blitzing and blitzing when you need to, making sure you get home. And Barry and the Browns have built a defense that's capable of doing that. And, you know, we had Eric Metcalf on the podcast a few weeks ago. If you want to go back and listen to that interview, another great conversation. You know, and Eric talked about the fact that you look at the Chiefs and you look at Odell Beckham Jr., you know, dropping into that offense against Kansas City next time, fully healthy, and Jarvis Landry being fully healthy against Kansas City if and when they get them in the postseason again. And, and you just look at that offense. They have the firepower there with Baker Mayfield and the two running backs in, you know, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. They, they have the offense that can go toe-to-toe. They now have a defense that if they can't beat Mahomes and the Chiefs, they can neutralize them a little bit. And not many teams can do that. You look at the Buffalo Bills, and I think they've had another great offseason. And they have one of the quarterbacks who I think on that side of the bracket is capable in beating the Chiefs in Josh Allen. But I don't think they have the roster top to down, top to bottom that the Browns have. I, I think that the Pittsburgh Steelers, you saw a changing of the guard in the AFC North in what happened in that wildcard playoff game against the Browns last January. I think the Browns might be, along with the Buffalo Bills, the biggest threat to the Kansas City Chiefs' AFC supremacy for the next five years. And they keep getting better. And, and here's the thing. 
you look at the NFL draft, and yes, adding Tack McKinley is nice, and adding Clowney is nice. But the Browns have the chance now to go and get one of the top edge rushers in this class. Maybe Quiddy Pay from Michigan falls to them. Maybe Jason Owe from Penn State, who's a raw athletic project that scouts and executives around the league are raving about and coveting to drop into their defense, despite the fact they didn't have a sack last year. Maybe he's available to the Browns. And you drop him opposite Miles Garrett with all of this, you know, explosiveness up front, all of this former first-round talent. And you have a front seven that can be pretty dominant. And the Browns are a team that I'm excited to watch in the coming years. And if you want to look at the NFC side, we learned a lot about the NFC East this week. We learned a lot about the Philadelphia Eagles and about Jeffrey Lurie and why that organization has taken a step backwards each and every year since they won the Super Bowl in 2017. And that's owner Jeffrey Lurie and the overbearing nature. You look at the report, and if you haven't read it yet, go check it out, by Shil Kabadi of Bo Wolf and Zach Berman of The Athletic. Really eye-opening in terms of Jeffrey Lurie having weekly Tuesday meetings with Doug Peterson where they question the in-game decisions of Doug Peterson. And you think back to all of the hullabaloo and all of the controversy about how the Eagles quote-unquote tanked Week 17. Well, if he was told, as I was told after that happened by sources around the NFL, that Doug Peterson coached that game the way Jeffrey Lurie in the front office wanted him to and then was fired anyway. It just goes to show you what's happening in Philadelphia. And I think that any veil and any allure and any delusion that Jeffrey Lurie is anything other than Jerry Jones light was kind of, you know, ripped off. The Band-Aid was ripped off by this report in The Athletic. You know, the fact that Doug Peterson was almost fired before this year because of decisions he wanted to make in terms of who he wanted on his coaching staff. I think it's really difficult to win that way. The Cowboys have proven just how difficult it is to win that way every single year. And in Washington, you have, you know, arguably the most dysfunctional organization in all of professional sports. And that's the Washington football team with owner Daniel Snyder, who even if you're starting to build something explosive on defense, even if you have an offense that has Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson and now a veteran quarterback and Ryan Fitzpatrick to lead that offense, and a defensive line with Chase Young and loaded with first-round talent just like the Browns are, if you have an owner who's that dysfunctional, if you have an owner who's, you know, the first time that Ron Rivera, who's one of the most, you know, complete and accomplished head coaches in this league, the first time he looks at you side-eyed, you might be showing him the door and showing him a pink slip, it's tough to win that way. And that's where I look at a team like the Giants, and I wrote about this in the column on Wednesday, that, you know, you look at John Mara, and they've had their missteps, and they've had their struggles, and and they haven't made the postseason since 2016, and they have a losing record over that span, and they haven't won a Super Bowl since 2011. But, you know, there's consistency there. And, And, you know, all of the errors in GM Dave Gettleman's ways in his first couple years as general manager, and people can debate whether or not Saquon Barkley was worth the number two pick in the NFL draft, even though you look at the quarterbacks that were chosen after him, and Sam Darnold was, you know, given away for a song. You, you know, Josh Allen is the guy that probably should have been picked at number two, or you trade back, or you take Quentin Nelson. But regardless of what happened in 2018, the Giants believe they have a franchise quarterback in Daniel Jones. They brought in Kenny Galladay. They brought in Adoree Jackson, at cornerback. They have, you know, a dominant defensive line with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence. They're a team 
that could capitalize on all of this uncertainty, all of this ownership meddling from Jerry Jones and Jeffrey Lurie and Daniel Snyder. The NFC East is wide open. If Daniel Jones is the guy, and if Saquon Barkley is as dominant and explosive as he was pre-injury and he's fully healthy this year, depending on what the Giants do in the draft, if they, they go out and they get Devonta Smith or Jalen Waddle and they drop him into that offense and you can line up Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton, and... Waddle slash Smith, that's a pretty explosive offense. That's an offense that can be high-powered. If they go another route and Micah Parsons is available and you drop the, in my opinion, the prospect with the highest ceiling and the highest floor and the most dominant, most versatile defensive player in this class alongside Blake Martinez, all of a sudden, that's a defense that can make a significant stride. So my point here is, much like the Browns and what they've done in prioritizing first-round talent at the positions that they needed to to go out and beat Kansas City as their measuring stick, I think the Giants have become the inverse of the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington football team, and the Philadelphia Eagles because of their consistency and their stability from the ownership box to the sideline. That the partnership between Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge, based on last year's early returns, has the chance to be a really fruitful one. So they're going to be, in my opinion, a team to watch. I think the Browns are a team to watch. Maybe not for the Super Bowl. The Browns are closer to that you know, mantle and competing for championships than the Giants are. But the Giants have the chance to make some noise. And the Browns certainly have the chance to make a lot of noise next season. But on the other side, we'll chat with Detroit Lions inside linebacker slash fullback Jason Cabinda about the NFL, about his career, and... The state of affairs in this country right now, it's a conversation that I really enjoyed and I think that you're going to enjoy and hopefully take a lot from as well. Keep it right here to the Matt Lombardo Show, Inside Fanside. It's Stacking the Box podcast feed. The Matt Lombardo Show podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you're doing something good for your body at the same time. We start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then, we blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result, fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, and guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, and boosting your energy and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, we have been a leader in the superfoods market, and we are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. We're offering up to 15% off when you use the promo code MINUTE. Go to EarthEchoFoods.com slash Minute Media and follow them on social media at Danette May and at Earth Echo Foods. Repeat after me. I, Kevin, take you, Susan. I, Kevin, take you, Susan. It's a Jamie from Progressive. Shh, Jamie. No, it's all right. I can talk. Progressive protects you 24-7, which means you can contact us anytime. Hmm. I'm getting a loud shh sound, so I'm going to talk louder. What can I help you with today? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, Progressive can do that. Ugh, there's that noise again. Hold on. Let me put you on speaker. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. All right, welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show. And as promised, joining us, friend of the program, 
the pride of linebacker you, Detroit Lions linebacker slash fullback, Jason Gabinda. Jason, thanks for jumping on today. Hey, man. Appreciate you having me on, brother. Thanks for taking the time. Of course, man. Happy to have you here. And just right out of the shoot, you know, your new head coach, Dan Campbell, certainly made an impression when he talked to, you know, about you guys being a team that's going to eat kneecaps this season. <laughs> what was your impression watching that introductory press conference and how fired up were you seeing your head coach have that kind of emotion right out of the gate? <laughs> yeah, man, I think everybody's pretty fired up uh, watching coach go out there and show some emotion like that. So uh, it's always good to know you have somebody at, at the head of, the, of our program or our organization who's as really just as fired up and as passionate as everybody else is. And I think that's the kind of energy that we need to spread, spread around the building and to really take the next step and where we're trying to go. Yeah. And I think that, you know, fans saw that and he kind of made headlines across the NFL and in the Twitter sphere and all that, but you know, you guys, I'm sure you've interacted with them or at least had conversations. What have been your first impressions of him so far as a head coach? Yeah. I mean, obviously you can just tell he has like a, <clears throat> a younger spirit. And I think a lot of coaches, uh, you know, Obviously, he's a guy who's a former player. He played here in Detroit. I mean, you could tell he loves this place. You could tell he wants so much for this place, you know, here in Detroit. And, and the fans deserve so much. And I think, you know, he's got a good vibe, good energy, the type of energy that we need to spread like wildfire on this building, like I said earlier. So I'm, I'm just super excited. You know, everybody's, you know, antsy to kind of get there and get things going. Obviously, we got COVID and everything going on. But as soon as we, all, we do get back, you know, I, I think everybody's going to be ready to get to work. Yeah, I had Dalton Reisner on the program, the guard from the Denver Broncos last week, and he was just saying how valuable it is having Mike Munchak, who played the game and is a Hall of <clears> Famer <throat> as a coach, that you can kind of learn more and relate to them more. You know, having a guy like Dan Campbell who's played the sport, how much easier does that make it for you guys to, you know, understand what he's trying to teach you and then to go out and, and do it? Well, I think one, when it, when it comes to a guy who's played, you know, I think it makes the player-coach relationship a lot easier, you know, being that he can truly relate, he's truly been in our seats, he's truly been there in those meetings, sitting there and trying to execute what we're executing. So I think just from a from a standpoint of language, how to talk to each other, you know, feeling what the other feels, you know, that connection is all there because he's been there. <clears throat> so I think that's the, the biggest part, you know, is when a coach can really understand his players. And I think from then on, be able to make decisions based on where we're at. So I think that constant communication and that constant understanding and feeling like, you know, we get him and he gets us. I think it's going to be huge for our team and everything that we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And anybody who watches the NFL knows that versatility is key, right? It's how you make rosters. It's how you stay on rosters. <laughs> you personally, you know, you split time at inside linebacker and fullback last season. Um, which do you like better? Do you like to barrel through the line of scrimmage, you know, sacking a quarterback? Or is it more fun to lower your shoulder and, you know, bury a linebacker into the ground as a lead blocker? <laughs> Uh, good question. I get this one a lot. Um, I mean, honestly, it, it, it's kind of crazy because I started playing playing offense when I was in high school. I really only played offense. In college, I obviously only played defense. So I've had such an even amount of time really playing both sides. It's so hard to, to say what I like better. But I think I just love the fact that I can do both because I think I, I have a lot of fun playing the game. You know, I just love playing football. You know, I love smashing into people. I love, you know, being dominant out there physically and, and, and being a physical presence. So. You know, regardless of what side of the ball that is, it doesn't really matter to me as long as I'm helping the team to win. It doesn't get much more physical than, you know, being a guy who shoots through the A-gap or a guy who's blocking for a running back. You get to be physical on both sides of the ball. That's pretty exciting. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And, and I know that you and Saquon Barkley were pretty close during your time together at Penn State. Has he watched and given you any feedback on your blocking or coached you up as a runner? 
yeah, you know, obviously we've had conversations about stuff and I think it's, you know, pretty cool to just be on the other side of the ball and kind of hear his perspective on how he sees things. So, you know, anytime I can get tips, you know, from a guy like that is obviously, you know, it helps a lot. You know, I want to, for a few minutes, I want to talk about something that might be a little bit um, uncomfortable for some people. And I know that it's a subject that you've been pretty outspoken about. And, you know, again, this week we saw Dante Wright shot and killed in Minnesota. Chicago police, there was a police-involved shooting of a 13-year-old boy out at 2.30 in the morning who complied, had his hands in the air, the whole deal. As a Black man in this country, you know, take me through your experience watching this unfold over and over again, a year after we all saw and watched in horror what happened to George Floyd. I mean, we just, we've watched it so, so many times. I mean, it's, it's beyond tiring, honestly. Yeah. It's just it's to a point I don't really have anything else to say. I don't see how anything else can be seen any other way. It's not, I don't see how it's something that's two sides because at the end of the day, there are people out there who are missing brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, uncles, aunts, all of that. So, yeah. And, and you know, and you guys as a team, when all this went down, you know, you were pretty quick to react after George Floyd's police involved death. Canceling practice made a very public statement <clears throat> in the middle of training camp. What was that meeting like in that room with you and your teammates when that discussion was taking place? And what led you guys to take that stand? Well, you know, we're at a point kind of where I believe, I believe that happened at the time OTAs. And, you know, we had a meeting coming up and, you know, coach had kind of introduced the floor, kind of knew how we were feeling. It was after the shooting that happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, the very next day, you know, coach obviously knew that because we had been speaking about that stuff a bit during meetings. Uh, at that time so it was kind of a hot topic obviously as it always is really but um and deserves to be with, with everything right. that's happened a absolutely and he kind of laid out the floor for us to kind of let out any of the feelings that we have from what had happened the day before and you know it just kind of started with guys talking and you know <clears throat> giving their perspectives and 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 hearing anecdotes of things that had happened to them earlier in life or when they were younger or you know just the other day and i think hearing these experiences really opened the eyes of a lot of guys who, who, you know, truly didn't know. And I think, you know, as a football team, I think this made us so much, so much closer. And I think hearing the emotion come, come out of guys and, you know, obviously got real emotional and, and hearing that, you know, hearing the pain in everyone's voices and your brother's voice and your coach's voice, you know, whoever it was, you know, I think it really um, broke through to a lot of people there. And, uh, you know, after having a conversation like that and understanding how important it was, we didn't feel like <clears throat> as players that we could just, go and do that and say, you know, we need to change. We need to do something. And then we just go right back to regular life. And we just go play football and go practice. You know, it just, it didn't sit right with our stomachs. So I think, you know, we went back to the locker room. I grabbed Duran Harmon and we had gone and started talking to the guys and kind of just started putting ideas together. Obviously by this point, I mean, the talk lasted maybe two hours. So we were overtime in meetings. We were already supposed to have been at practice. So the media was kind of like, all right, what's going on, whatever. You know, we knew they were outside and we we're like, I mean, at this point, we might as well, you know, kind of take advantage of this moment and show everyone how we feel because this is important and, and take the steps. So we kind of brainstormed ideas of what to write on, on the, you know, the not poster board, I don't know what we call the it. Whiteboard. whiteboard. Yeah. On the whiteboard and kind of went outside with that and had, you know, some of the team leaders kind of talked, I believe, you know, Decker talked, Trey talked, you know, obviously Maddie P talked. Um, and that was just huge, you know, and I think it was the exact same day later on, a couple other teams, I think it was either the same day or the next day, 
you know, a couple other teams, a couple of NBA teams that canceled their practice too. And then it just started spreading like wildfire. And it's just like, damn, it's just crazy. You know, how much power you can have or how much influence you can have when you just do the right thing, you know? So. Yeah. And I was really uh, proud to see that. And, you know, I wrote about it in my column this week that I think it's really refreshing to see leagues, teams, but most importantly, athletes and not just black athletes, but, but full teams, you know, taking yeah. a leadership stand with, you know, not only saying enough is enough, but going out into the community and, you know, working with community leaders and trying to, to find solutions. And, you know, I, I'm watching this from afar and I'm just like, you know, it, it's just very refreshing to see sports and athletes and players step up and be leaders when in some places there's a leadership <clears throat> vacuum in the communities that allow this to happen over and over again. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's, uh, it's crazy to say that because I think that's one thing that bothers me the most is the people who think like the whole, like shut up and dribble memo and like, oh, athletes should just stick to sports and stuff like that. It's just like, the more I think about it, it's kind of just like, who is more suited? Like who is more used to working with people, no matter what they look like, or no matter what background, no matter where they come from and coming together and trying to reach a common goal? You know, who who lives in a world where that is what they do more than athletes? Right. You know, like that's that's what that's what we do all the time. That's what we have to do. No matter where you come from, we have coaches move and change and players get traded. And what, it doesn't matter who your quarterback, who your receivers, who the lineman, like whatever. You guys got to be on the same page. You guys got to move forward because you got to win. So, you know, at the end of the day, if we can find a way to work in such a close environment where we have to be with each other, literally physically all the time and 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 hit each other and, and still be cool out there. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason why we can't as a society work together and just get better. So I don't think there's anybody more suited than athletes to, you know, speak on that kind of stuff. Of course, because you have your own, your own, like own experiences. Yeah, you have your own experiences. You have your own, you know, day-to-day -day life, as you pointed out, working together. So why not work together out in the community? And obviously, you know, there are a lot of fans out there who want to help, who have this vision and this dream of a country that's more fair and equitable for everyone. But, you know, there are also some people who don't know what they can do. So you, Jason Kambinda, NFL player, you know, African-American, what would you tell fans or anyone really who wants to see change and help bring it about but don't quite know how they can help. What would you tell those people? I would tell yourself to go and put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. Go have a conversation with someone who know, you normally would not have a conversation with. Because I think a lot, of, a lot of the reason why these things escalate and things like this happen, like these shootings and police shootings, like why this happens is because you have people who grow up in bubbles. You have people who grow up in their own environments 24-7. And then they go and they take a job where, where it can possibly be led to a situation where it's life and death. And you're, you have to interact with people you've never interacted with before. You've never been around for. You didn't grow with. You don't know their mannerisms or how they talk or what is actually aggressive or not. Because, like, you've never been around or had black friends or whatever the case may be. Like, there are too many situations like that. So find a way to step out of your bubble so you can understand others more is probably my first thing that anybody can do. And, and I think that goes well beyond, you know, police officers. I think that's day-to-day -day life because you talk to Absolutely. people who <clears throat> grow up in literally white communities or African-Americans who grow up in African-American communities and, and, and people don't have the, the scope of the viewpoint of growing up amongst each other and relating to other people. And I think that that's the problem. We talk past each other so often that we're not talking to each other. Correct.
no doubt. Yeah, no what's, doubt. It, what's the solution to all this look like, in your opinion? <laughs> that would... <laughs> I guess that's the $100 that would, million dollar there, question, there, right? There's a bunch, there's a lot of levels to that, <laughs> to that question. It's a very, very, very loaded question, but yeah. we have a lot of work to do. And no, we I, just need to continue to take one step forward in front of the other. And hopefully we can take two steps at a time because we've been dragging our feet way too long on this. I totally agree. And, you know, just to swing it back to football for a minute here, you know, have you chatted with Jared Goff yet? Because, you know, let's be real. He might be <clears> handing <throat> you the football in a few months, might be handing it off to yeah. you a few times. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. Um, you know, we've spoken as players to each other and kind of saying in context, I haven't talked to him much, but, um, you know, we'll obviously be getting together soon, whenever that is. Whether that's soon or July, you know, I'm looking forward to getting really getting to know the my new teammates and seeing them in person and working out with them and stuff. Yeah, and you know that that was a trade that really rocked the NFL. People talked about it for weeks, and the big quarterback swap. Matthew Stafford goes to the Rams. You guys get golf. You know, what was your reaction, and how did you find out about the trade? Man, I love that boy, nah, man. Maddie, Matt Stav is is my dog. Uh, so that was tough knowing that, you know, he's going, obviously, you know, that's one tough dude um, and one hell of a leader. So LA's getting a, a really great player. Um, you know, he just, he gave the city all he had, you know, and it was, it was cool to see that in person. Cause I, I grew seeing him, you know, as I grew up watching football and seeing him play for Detroit and like him always being that highlight guy here and, and then being able to have the opportunity to play alongside him um, was awesome. But, you know, obviously we have Jared Goff coming in. He's obviously a guy who's, you know, been paid and earned a big contract. And obviously because he's been able to play at a high level in this league. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him, you know, play at that level again and really hopefully play with a chip on his shoulder. You've been through three seasons now. Who's the best running back in the NFL today? Damn. <laughs> right? <laughs> Damn. That's a tough one. Give me your top three. Everyone healthy. Everyone right, healthy. I'll, I'll say three with no order whatsoever. I would say Derrick Henry, Saquon, and oh God, this last one's hard. There's a lot. You got the Alvin Kamara's. You got the Christian McCaffrey's. I'm really between Alvin and. Um, and Dalvin Cook. Dalvin's a great one. He was so dominant last year. And, you know, every time he goes to Lambeau Field, I say to myself, you know, they need to rename that place Cook Park or Cook Field or something because <laughs> he tears the Packers up in that building. Yeah, but Alvin, uh, you know, he's got some great balance. Honestly, I've never seen balance like, like how he has. So it's, it's fun to watch. What, what makes Saquon so special? Because obviously you practiced against him every day at Penn State. I think you played him – once, I believe, what, in 2019, you got to face off against him. What makes Saquon such yeah. a gifted athlete? Uh, it's really just his combination of size and speed, um, you know, for how big he is. I mean, I think he's probably like 230, 225, 230. And to be able to run the way he runs, to be able to cut on the dime, I mean, the body control is, is very unique. Um, so that, that really makes him, you know, tough to handle on defenses. And, and you were pretty kind instrumental like the kind of guy in yeah. space. Yeah, yeah, can't give him space because he'll he'll make you pay. Yeah, 
you know, you were pretty instrumental in Penn State's rise back to national prominence and one of the more important defensive players in that 2016 Big Ten title team. What clicked for you guys that year? Because you started out three and two, you beat <coughs> Minnesota in overtime, and then boom, you upset Ohio State, win the Big Ten, go to the Rose Bowl. You know, what, what was the moment that turned that season around for you guys? Um, I think for us, that was really the season where absolutely everyone was rowing in the same direction. Um, you know, where we truly believed into all the philosophy, into the ideals that Coach Franklin was, you know, telling us. And, and I just feel like we truly were all on the same page and believed in ourselves, you know. Obviously, that gutsy win against Minnesota and then the OT win against Ohio State was that was that hump, you know. I think anytime you have a team that kind of falls off and don't get me wrong, like we, we still had winning seasons, but obviously Penn State was known for that national prominence, like you said. And we had fallen off from that standard, you know, after the sanctions and all that kind of stuff. But when that happens, there's always a game that's like the hump that you need to get over. You know, we had gone, we were beating the teams that we should be. But when it came to like the Ohio States and beating Michigan, like we still had that hump we had to get over. So when we beat Ohio State that year, that was really it. And I think the confidence that came with beating them is what really allowed us to go on that roll that we did after that game. Yeah, and I remember, you know, I have Penn State season <clears throat> tickets, was at the Minnesota game with my wife and my father, and afterwards I looked at both of them and I said, you know, that really felt like a launching pad game for an entire program. Was that a feeling that you guys had coming out of that one? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think our confidence definitely skyrocketed, and I think that's when the belief factor really kicked in because everything that we were doing was paying off, so for sure. And, you know, for Jason Gabinda, what does the 21 season look, 2021 season look like? You know, what are some of your personal goals going into this year? Um, I mean, first is just winning. Uh, you know, I haven't won much in my career here in the NFL so far. And so going into my fourth year, like I want to win. Um, that's really the most important thing to me right now. Obviously, you know, I'm working a lot of my offensive skills and really taking a unique approach to my offseason this year, but, and staying versatile. But right now I just, I really want to win, you know, continue to grow my role on offense make the most of my touches, you know, make holes for Swift and those guys back there. Um, but I, I'm trying to win. You know, we got to win that. You know, it, we got to win. It sounds like linebacker Jason Kabinda might be hanging up the cleats and fullback Jason Kabinda might be putting them on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll see. Whatever, uh, whichever one is called called upon. I love it. And I love seeing the, the two-way player kind of has see a renaissance in you. And, you know, before I let you go, and I really appreciate you taking the time, Jason, and this has been a really enlightening conversation on all fronts. You know, tell me about being Binda. What do you have going on there? And, and where can people find it and find out more? Uh, I'm starting this YouTube channel now called Being Binda. Um, really just a vlog in the day in the life. You know, I'm an NFL player, really getting a unique perspective into like what we go through from a training, from a rehab, from a, you know, what do we do? I mean, just so many things. I think a lot of people really just see the product on Sunday and they see us out there making plays. But, you know, a lot don't really get to peek into the life and kind of what we have to do, what we have to get through in order to even make it to Sundays from an aspect of our bodies, you know, a training aspect, all those kinds of things. So be on the lookout for that. Dude, I love it. I'm going to check it out. Being Binda on YouTube. And, you know, that's the sort of thing. I, I love seeing the peek behind the curtain of what it's like for, for professional athletes and on the day-to-day -day because it, it's so much more than 60 minutes on a Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Jason, really appreciate the time. Go ahead and follow Jason Cabinda on Twitter, at Jason Cabinda. Check him out on Instagram. Check out Being Binda on YouTube. Jason, appreciate the time of man, and I'll talk to you further up the road. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. What an enlightening conversation with Jason Kambida, just so far beyond football there. And just, you know, taking a step out of the NFL realm and what's happening in the world today, this 
outburst of police-involved shootings, the outburst of mass shootings that take place on a daily basis, it feels like, in this country. It's a pandemic that's not much different than the COVID-19 pandemic. But, you know, like Jason talked about, sometimes it's just removing yourself from your own day-to-day life and taking the perspective of others that can make such a significant difference in the acrimony and the strife and the divide in this country. And I, I, I said it with Jason, and I'll say it here. I feel like we talk at each other more than we talk to each other in today's society. And, you know, we're not going to get better that way. We're not going to come together that way. We're not going to find unity that way. And I think everybody needs to kind of see the perspective of others that are going through so much pain. And rather than, you know, victim blaming and saying that it's their fault that these things are happening to them, figuring out a way to relate to the struggle and how to find something, a system that's more equitable for all of us. But, you know, we'll get back to football on the other side, some NFL draft stuff, some tidbits and some nuggets that I've heard in the last couple of days. We'll get into that. We'll take your questions, your NFL draft questions, and we will read some reviews for the podcast on the other side. Keep it right here on the Matt Lombardo Show, Inside Fanside. It's Stacking the Box podcast feed. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back to the Matt Lombardo Show. And certainly with the NFL draft approaching, there are a lot of things you're going to hear that make you scratch your head. And there are a lot of things that you hear today that are going to be far more prescient than maybe what we would have heard back in January or February during the beginning of the pre-draft process. Because now's when teams start meeting. Now's when the GMs and the coaching staffs and the scouts gather together, whether it's on Zoom and doing it virtually in today's day and age, or doing it in person in the war rooms as facilities start to reopen and people start to get vaccinated. But something that made me almost fall out of my chair earlier today when I was talking to an NFL personnel executive was from what they're hearing and from talking to people inside the league, don't completely rule out Jimmy Garoppolo staying in San Francisco and the 49ers taking Kyle Pitts at number three overall. Now, you know how I feel about Kyle Pitts. If you listened to the program last week, and certainly this isn't a unique opinion, this isn't something that I'm some sort of visionary in saying this, a lot of people feel the same way both inside the league and draft Twitter and analysts and evaluators and all of that. You know, I believe Kyle Pitts is the most complete and arguably the most dominant tight end prospect to ever enter the NFL draft. So, you know, it would be fascinating to watch the 49ers already with George Kittle sitting there at number three, taking him and adding that type of dynamic to tight end set. But if it's not Kyle Pitts, this executive believes that the 49ers are now all in on Justin Fields. And that's really kind of wild in its own right, because the first two picks are pretty much set. It's Trevor Lawrence, of course, going number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then the Jets, after trading away Sam Darnold, of course, going Zach Wilson out of BYU. But If the 49ers go a quarterback, apparently it's no longer Mac Jones at the top of the board, and you hear this from a few different people in a few different places. Apparently it's Justin Fields. 
And Fields is a guy who you watched him way back in the college football season, and you watch what he did in January against Clemson, really not healthy and, and really banged up and hurt, and he goes out and puts on a show. Now there's a chance he could be the number three quarterback taken off the board there and going to San Francisco if they take a quarterback. And if that's the case, and if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan, right now go to NFLShop.com and order your customized Kyle Pitts jersey because Atlanta is taking Kyle Pitts with the number four overall pick if he's there. That's just the sense you get talking to people, and why not? When you have that kind of a weapon sitting there with an aging quarterback in Matt Ryan who probably has at least two years left in the tank, and certainly the Falcons, given his contract, need to be committed to for the next two or three years. You drop Kyle Pitts into that offense with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, they're going to put up 30 points a game. That's just the way it is. Now, I don't know what their defense is going to be, but you look in the AFC South, NFC South, rather, and you look at the quarterbacks, Jameis Winston isn't going to scare me in the NFC South. Sam Darnold certainly isn't going to scare me in the NFC South. And if you're the Atlanta Falcons, it's you and Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Now, I don't know that you're going to unseat Bruce Arians and Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. I don't know that you're going to win that division. You're certainly going to be in the mix for a wild card. You certainly have the chance to go 4-2 and two at worst in your division. And to me, that's the type of firepower you have on that offense. And if you're the, the Atlanta Falcons, you've got to really consider doing that. And it sounds like that's going to be the move. And not just because of the weapons that it gives Matt Ryan, but you know, people around the league believe that Arthur Blank still remembers what he had in Tony Gonzalez. And he has visions of Tony Gonzalez 2.0 who's in the Hall of Fame, by the way, in Kyle Pitts. So Kyle Pitts to the Falcons certainly seems to be where this draft really begins if he's sitting there. And then you have a couple other quarterback needy teams, and we touched on this last week as well, that the Denver Broncos are kicking the tires on the quarterbacks, that you you always have to watch what Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are going to do, whether they're going to go up and get Mac Jones, whether they're going to take Justin Fields, they're going to trade up and do that, or if they're going to flip a pick for... Jimmy Garoppolo, all of those things are on the table. And Matt Verderam, fan side is NFL insider, by the way, believes, and I don't believe he was reporting this, but he, him and I have talked about this a few different times. His sense is he thinks that there's a good chance that Belichick could offer a first-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo and a reunion in New England. And by the way, if you're a fan of Matt Verderam's work, and even if you're not, keep him and your family in your prayers this week. Send them feelings of and vibes of strength and healing power because his beautiful family um, they're going through a really difficult time and a tragic week for them so if you could pray for Matt Verderam and his family I, I, I would appreciate it and I know Matt would and our thoughts and prayers and my family's really thinking of Matt during this time um, but you know you just think of what could happen in the NFL draft and you think about what could go down It's going to be really interesting to watch the top 10 picks, and you might have five quarterbacks going in the top 10 for the first time ever. So you were two weeks away. We're going to break it all down in depth next week. And before we get out of here this week, as promised, we wanted to answer some of your NFL questions on the podcast. And, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Lombardo NFL. And in future weeks, that's where you can drop your questions there. Uh, But this question comes in from at S3 Friedman, And he wants to know, when you look around the landscape of the NFL and teams are seemingly moving towards hiring younger head coaches that have short cycles, rather than going the traditional route, 
where coaches serve as coordinators first and then ascend to head coach if they're successful? Do you think this is a, a permanent trend? And I really do, and I think it's you know based on multiple fronts. I think that the Giants and their success with Joe Judge making the leap from position coach slash special teams coordinator, I think that that sent some shockwaves through the NFL, certainly um, in, a, in a bigger picture from a bigger picture standpoint, what Sean McVay has been able to do with the Los Angeles Rams, I think that that is part of the trend. But even bigger picture, you know, Joe Brady's a little bit of the exception because he now is the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers. But here's a guy who's 31 years old, and you saw what he did at LSU, what he did for Joe Burrow. He's a guy who got mentioned in hiring cycles this time around where he might have even you know, had just one season as a coordinator. I think the Joe Brady's of the world stand to benefit from this new younger wave of hiring of head coaches in the league. And I think that hiring coaches right out of college is going to become more and more of a trend. And I think that, you know, you look at what happened with Steve Spurrier and Chip Kelly, that's kind of in the past. And I think that the college football game, even in the last six or seven years, has evolved to the point where the NFL is borrowing so many principles of the college game and implementing them into their offense. And you look at how the NFL game has, you know, really been able to benefit from these spread offenses taking footing in the college ranks that the coaches, much like the players and the wide receivers and the quarterbacks who are playing right away and making legitimate explosive major impacts, these coaches are coaching a game that's so similar to what the NFL is borrowing that they're better suited to be NFL head coaches right away, which makes me think that head coaches in the NFL no longer necessarily have to be coordinators first, that if you're a successful college football coordinator, if you're certainly a successful college football head coach, you have the chance to be a successful NFL coach in your own right. So that's where I think that's going as well. And, you know, we talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. We're going to do it each and every week from here on out. If you love what you hear on the show, I would really love it and appreciate it if you would go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store to the Stacking the Box NFL Podcast. That's where you find the Matt Lombardo Show on Fridays. That's where you find Stacking the Box on Wednesdays with Matt Verderam and Mark Carmen, They do a great job on that podcast. And if you subscribe to Stack in the Box, you get both. But if you like what you hear from the Matt Lombardo Show, I would love it if you left a five-star review. It helps grow the show and get the program out there. And this is a review. We're going to read one every week. We're going to read a review every Friday on the show. And this one comes from Clinton Blake McKenzie. The headline of this review is Fansided is Becoming a Juggernaut, dot, 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 in the sports media realm. When you give your audience two Stacking the Box podcasts per week, hosted by different but equally exceptional journalists, you have the recipe for true domination. I've become a big fan of Matt Lombardo's slice of the fan-sided pie. His version of Stacking the Box is no less excellent than Mr. Carmen and Mr. Verderam, because Mr. Lombardo is personable, engaging, and extremely knowledgeable about the state of the NFL at any given moment. He's a natural at conducting interviews, and his friendly, informal style mines some true gems from his guest. 
Simply put, the Matt Lombardo Show is timely, informative, and just plain fun. NFL fans, do yourself a solid and never miss an episode. Clinton, I really and truly appreciate the kind words. The check is in the mail. And if we ever meet up at a Chiefs game or at the Combine or anywhere, the first round is on me. So that's about all the time we have today. Thanks so much again to Lions linebacker and fullback Jason Cabinda for dropping by. Follow Jason on Twitter at Jason Cabinda. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. You can subscribe to the podcast in the Apple Podcast Store or Spotify by searching fan-sided stacking the box NFL podcast. I'm Matt Lombardo. Enjoy your week, everybody. Next week, our NFL draft preview extravaganza. Can't wait. We'll talk to you then. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.